Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Oh, this is funny. Same thing as last week. My notes from previous week. Don't need those. Well, that was funny. After worship, I realized I didn't print my message or I didn't print my notes out. So I was running to try to print my message and trying to figure out what printer worked. And then I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. I was like, I, I don't know if I, got, I could make it the whole way. And I don't, I don't want to be sitting up here thinking about going to the bathroom the whole time. Which reminded me of, uh, we knew a pastor in Mexico, and he actually was a former uh, Muslim. And when he got saved, he like immediately started preaching. He was just so excited. And um, he, would, he would preach, and he, would, he had funny stories. Like he was, he was reading something one day, and Luke, he was like brand new. And he's like in the book of Luke, and he's like, this sounds like the same thing I just read in Matthew. And he, he didn't know that like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were like the same, like all kind of telling the same story. But, yeah, I, anyway, what I was going to say about him is um, he used to preach for, like, two hours, and he would stop in the middle of his message and, like, with his congregation and go to the bathroom and then, like, come back. <laughs> and I was like, I'm never going to do that, so I better go before. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm too young for that now, anyway. Maybe in, like, 30 years or something. Um, I do have some funny stuff for you this morning, so he, 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 get them warmed up, ha, 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 he, 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 ho, ho, ho. Uh, kids laugh 200 times a day, I heard one statistic say, but uh, adults only laugh on average of about 14 times a day. So we need to, we need to increase that number, amen, we need to laugh more. I, I know from our little kids, uh, Evan and Isaac, they just laugh all day long. And so we need to be more like that, amen. Okay, so just, if you don't think it's funny, just give it a faith laugh. And uh, we'll just faith laugh together. All right, my wife told me, by the way, I've, I've, uh, jo- Joy told me, you need to tell that one. My wife told me that I ruined her birthday, but I didn't even know it was her birthday. <laughs> I told that to my dad, who's not been married for like 30 years, and he just like, he's like, I don't get it. I was like, that's why you're not married. <laughs> All right, message translation. Mama, I'm hungry, amplified. Mummy, I am hungry, parentheses, famished, starving. NIV, mother, I am hungry. King James Version, henceforth, let it be known unto thee, birth giver, that my belly consists of emptiness. It says two ladies talking. My memory is so bad. How bad is it? How bad is what? <laughs> Oh, man, you just wait. You're going to be up here someday, and I'm going to I'm gonna have some tomatoes ready, Ken. <laughs> this is the four stages of life, the four stages of life. First stage of life, you believe in Santa. Second stage, you don't believe in Santa. Third stage of life, you are Santa. And the fourth stage of life, you look like Santa. <laughs> All right, I got one more. You know, delayed laugh over there. <laughs> just now hitting you. All, all of them together are just getting it all at once. Okay, if you've ever taken a red-eye flight, uh, you might relate to this joke. So, do you ever wake up 
kiss the person sleeping beside you and feel glad that you're alive. I just did that and apparently will not be allowed on this airline again. <laughs> so thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Oh, we did thank you for your presence. What a sweet presence that we experienced in worship today. God, we do pray, God, that the songs would not be just songs, but God, that you would set our hearts on fire, God. God, we just pray that we would rest in our Father, that we would know how loved we are, how cherished we are, how special we are. God, that you deal with us as individuals, that you look at each person here and you want to have a personal relationship directly with us as if we were the only person on earth. That's how important that we are to you. So God, we pray that we would have deeper revelation today. And let's just do this. Put your hand on your heart. Just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me this morning. I'm ready to receive from you. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so I only know two stories about my great-grandfather. Actually, I heard a third yesterday. I talked to my dad yesterday. But before that, I only knew two stories about my great-grandfather. His name is William Willette. He had 13 children, nine boys, and four girls. And the first story that I, I heard about him, actually my dad, somebody, uh, a guy who was in his 90s, stopped my dad, like this is like probably 40 years ago, and he grabbed my dad and he says, I got to tell you a story about your grandpa, my great-grandpa. My great-grandpa was a, uh, uh, he raced horses, and so the first story that I'd ever heard about him was that he was on horseback with several different men. And one of the men, he felt like insulted him or dishonored him. And he trotted over to the man and knocked him off of his horse onto the ground. So I guess maybe that's where the phrase, knocked off your high horse or get, what's the, what's the phrase? Get off your high horse. Maybe that's where that comes from. Get off your high horse. So the second story <laughs> I heard about him is uh, it's a little nicer. And I want to think probably chronologically this second story happened second, like that happened after the first story. So my grandfather didn't, wasn't raised, my great-grandfather, William, wasn't raised in a Christian home. He was not a Christian. And how many know who uh, Daniel Kalenda is? How many have heard of him? Okay. So if you haven't heard of him, he's, he's an evangelist. Um, he took over for Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. So if you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, uh, he's, he's probably, after Billy Graham, the most well-known evangelist in the last 100 years, and he's kind of like the Holy Spirit fire uh, Billy Graham, basically. And he was mostly called to uh, Africa, the, the whole continent, and somewhere around 80 million people came to Christ through his ministry in Africa. And he was very strategic at the end of his life in turning his ministry over to somebody else because he didn't want the ministry to die with him. And so Daniel Kalenda walked alongside him for, for many years before Reinhard uh, passed on and went to be with the Lord. And he has turned his over, his ministry now has, is run by Daniel Kalenda. And, and Daniel is, is just continuing the ministry and doing great work. So what does this have to do with my great-grandfather? I was listening to... 
Daniel, uh, he has a podcast, and Daniel, he's about my age, and I was listening to his podcast one day, and I heard, heard him say something that was interesting, and I was talking to my dad, and I was just sharing what I, what I heard from Daniel Kalenda, and my dad says this, which shocked me. This was only like less than a year ago. He'd never told me this story in my whole life. He goes, oh, yeah, the Kalendas are the reason that the Willets are all Christians, and I'd never heard this story. I was like, what, what are you talking about? He said, Daniel is a fourth-generation pastor, and Daniel's great-grandfather lived in Michigan, and he would do evangelistic revival tent meetings in Michigan. And he held one of these meetings in Harbor Beach, Michigan, and my grandfather, my great-grandfather, went to the meeting and got saved and met Jesus. And so from that meeting, so that I just, now I want to meet Daniel Kalinda. I'm like, I, I have to meet him so I can tell him it's just really interesting. We're the same age, and his great-grandfather led my great-grandfather to the Lord probably about 100 years ago in Harbor Beach, Michigan. So because of Daniel Kalinda's great-grandfather, my family is walking with the Lord today. And I'm living in the blessing of a decision that my great-grandfather made in a revival tent meeting in Harbor Beach, Michigan about 100 years ago. So I'm living in that blessing that comes from the Kalendas and then also from my grandpa, my great-grandpa making that decision. So today I want to talk to you about generational blessings Generational blessings. Sometimes we hear about generational curse, curses, but there's generational blessings. And how many know that the blessing of God is far more powerful than the curse? Now, when the Bible in the Old Testament talks about generational curses, it says that it can be visited through the, it can go through the bloodline up to like three generations. But the generational blessing, the Bible says, can go up to a thousand generations. Amen? So the generational blessing is far more powerful than any curse. And I want to start in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This is God speaking. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So the blessing in this passage is not just for you, but it says so that you and your descendants may live. This is a passage about generational blessing. It says the blessing is not just for you. It's for you and your descendants. Amen? And I want to read uh, Genesis chapter 17, I think, a uh, passage from that. We have it for the screens. It says this, when Abraham, we're going to start in verse 1, Genesis 17, I'm reading from the NIV. We figured that out this morning. Uh, verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, 
this is my covenant with you. You will be father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. How many know that God is inviting us, all of us, to take part in the blessings of Abraham? All of us. So here's some of the blessings in that passage. We will father nations. By the way, that's a, that's a word that's been spoken over our church, that we'll father nations. Here's another one. God makes us fruitful. Another one, kings will come from us. That means from your generations, kings will come out of those generations. And it also says there's a commanded generational blessing upon you. There's a commanded generational blessing upon you. So the blessing of Abraham find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ and through what Jesus did. Amen? It says as much in Galatians 3.16, it says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture did not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So we're meant to steward and to cultivate the blessing that we have received from Abraham and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessing to Abraham, the fulfillment of that was Jesus, and we received the full blessing that was declared over Abraham through Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're meant to steward and cultivate this blessing that we've received. So in this, we need to be people that think generationally. So we need to think beyond tomorrow. We need to think beyond what's happening today. We need to think generations down the line. We need to be people who think about the next generation and the next generation. And one of the things that Joy and I talk about is we're on a 1,000-year plan for our church. So everything that we're building in our church, we're thinking we want to build something that will be sustained for generations to come. We don't want to grow really quick and then die really quick. That happens to a lot of churches. But we're like, we want to build something that is, can be carried on for generations to come. And we want to build something that's going to bless generations to come and something that they can stand on our children our grandchildren I'm, I'm saying our all of our children and grandchildren so what are we doing today that builds a better foundation for those coming after us so i just have a couple things on my heart around this subject of, of generational blessing so number one, we need to realize that our breakthrough is our children's breakthrough. We need to realize that our breakthrough is not just for us. This is for our children 
And I'm talking about biological children and spiritual children. So if you don't have any children, your breakthrough is for your community and it's for your spiritual children. And in many times, the blessing that comes from a spiritual father or mother to a spiritual child is more powerful than what they receive from their biological parents. So don't disclude yourself in this. If you don't have kids or if you don't have them yet, because this is talking about both biological children and spiritual children. We need to realize and we need to go after breakthrough. And it's not just for us. It's for the generations to come. So the enemy wants you to get stuck in shame because shame causes us not to want to look at our issues. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I feel bad when I look at that. So I'm just going to, I'm going to do this. I don't see any issues here. Everything is good. And he wants us to go in shame because as long as we're in shame, we won't look at the issues. Sometimes it's painful, and I don't want to come across as, like, un not understanding. It is painful sometimes to look at the deep issues and to say, God, I need, I need help in this. I need healing in this. I don't want to live this way. But how many know God is not ashamed of you because of your issues? God is not ashamed of you because of your issues. God doesn't do disappointment. God doesn't do disappointment. He only does reappointment. He's not shocked when we make mistakes. He's not shocked when, in our, when we are disappointed with ourselves. He is not disappointed with us. And he's ready. He, he already knew. And he's ready to reappoint us. The Bible says he never leaves us. He never forsakes us, which means he never will physically leave us, but he never turns his heart away from us. So in your worst moment, God will not turn his heart from you. And those, those are the moments where if we look to him are, are the, some of the most healing moments because we, we see a God that has not turned his face from us in our worst moments. And that's ready to pick us up and reappoint, put us back in the direction that he has called us into and loves us through process and loves us through issues. He really is that good of a father. He's a good dad. So God is not ashamed of you because you have issues. God is not shocked by your issues. He's not shocked by problems. In your worst moment, he still calls you son. He still calls you daughter. And if you have children, you get this. Because in, in our worst moments, you know, when you have five kids and in various stages of life, there's a lot going on. And often the ones that are struggling the most are the ones that are getting the most attention. Because you're like, I, I, need, I need to help them. I need to do more. I need to, they need to know how much I love them so I can help them get back on track. Amen? In reality, we're all in process. All of us are in process. So we either resist growth or we embrace it because we're all in process. So we're either ignoring process, resisting it, or we're embracing it, saying, okay, I'm going to embrace process. And, you know, when we believe that God wants to take us from glory to glory to glory, it's easier to resist or it's easier to embrace because you're like, okay, God, you said I'm going to go from one degree of glory to another. So I'm going to embrace process and not ignore these issues in my life.
We're either resisting or we're embracing. So this was on my heart this week. What if we flipped the script on how we see challenges and obstacles? What if we just change our thinking on how we see challenges and how we see obstacles? Israel saw Goliath as an obstacle that was keeping them from being blessed. But David saw Goliath as an opportunity for blessing and promotion. What, what, is, what did you say? Whoever kills Goliath gets to marry the king's daughter and goes to the kingdom? Don't think that didn't impact, like, what he was thinking. He's like, could you say that again? What was that? And I think that all made sense to him. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm on my way to the kingdom anyway. Oh, this is my opportunity for the promotion that God's already declared over me. Israel saw this giant that was in the way. He saw an opportunity, a doorway for promotion, for blessing. So what if every obstacle and challenge was actually an opportunity for growth and promotion? It can change your whole mindset. You're like, oh, wow, a challenge. This is awesome. This is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity for promotion. That thing I've been praying for, maybe this is the thing that I need to face that actually gets me where I've, what I've, for, for what gets me to the place of what I've been asking God for. Amen. You were created to conquer the giants in your life. You were not created to be defeated by them. You were created to conquer them. You were created to overcome them. That's why the Bible calls us overcomers. So the fact that we're even called overcomers means that we have some things to overcome. But we go into it with that thought of, this is who I am. I am meant to conquer giants. I am a giant killer. I'm meant to take down giants. I'm meant to conquer issues and problems. And it's probably promotion waiting for me at the other side of this. What if we just change the way we look at problems and challenges instead of like, oh, man, again, God, what are you doing to me? Why does this keep happening? You know, instead of like when, when these things happen, the enemy wants us to feel like a loser and like a failure. And, like, and he's like, yep, you're a failure. And he wants us to embrace that thought instead of what God wants us to do is look at it like a Goliath. Like, oh, this is, this is just a doorway to promotion. Without Goliath, David doesn't get in the kingdom. Without Joseph being sold into slavery, he doesn't save his family. Without the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah doesn't rise up as a powerful spiritual leader that God created him to be. What are the giants in front of you? What, is, what if God is using those obstacles to actually launch you into your destiny? What if that's your launching ramp into your destiny instead of the thing that's holding you down? Don't look at obstacles as evidence that we can't succeed, but look at them as invitations to receive more of God. So the enemy always wants to, you to look at a challenge as evidence, evidence that you're a failure, 
evidence that you're not enough, evidence that it's hopeless. And God always wants you to see a challenge as an invitation, invitation for more of God, invitation for more blessing, invitation for more glory. So what if we just change our mind? We start to get excited. Like James said, I get excited when there's a trial. Another trial. How exciting. <laughs> How exciting. Maybe it's the giant of depression. Maybe it's the giant of pornography. Maybe it's a giant of fear, intimidation. Maybe it's unforgiveness, bitterness. But whatever it is, God sees it as a door to promotion and breakthrough. And here's the key for today. And the breakthrough is not just for you. It's for your generations to come. Your breakthrough is your children's breakthrough. Your breakthrough is this house, this church family's breakthrough. We need you to get the breakthrough because we need everything that God put inside of you to be unlocked for this calling, for this house, for this family. That's why we are cheering each other on. And that's why heaven, Bible talks about in Hebrews that the saints are cheering us on. They're praying for us. Jesus himself is praying for us. Because what is inside of you needs to be unlocked and unleashed into the earth. And it's not just for you. It's for everybody around you. And it's for your generations to come. We need what you got. So we want to see everything that God put inside of you get unlocked. And sometimes it's just locked up behind fear and intimidation. You guys know the story, most of you, that I was terrified to do what I'm doing today, speaking in front of people, because it was locked up behind this fear and intimidation. Sometimes resistance and obstacles aren't evidence that you're doing something wrong, but it's actually evidence that you're doing something right. Again, I've seen this so many times. And I've seen it in my own life, but I've seen it as a pastor in, in other people's lives so many times. Someone steps out to do something that is benefiting their life or it's pursuing a dream or it's going after healing. And all of a sudden, there's a ton of resistance. They're like, where did all this resistance come from? Well, the enemy was perfectly fine with when they weren't pursuing their dream or pursuing their breakthrough or pursuing their healing. But the moment that they stepped out to do that, he's like bringing the resistance <laughs> So a resistance is not evidence that you're doing something wrong, but it could be evidence that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Don't be surprised when you encounter resistance, when you start trying to better yourself. You start like, okay, I'm going to actually pursue this business idea. I'm going to actually pursue healing in this area that's kept me, held me back for years. Don't be surprised when you face resistance. It's another thing that you can get excited about. Oh, wow, major resistance when I'm trying to start this business. God must be all over this. So what do we do to think generationally? We need to see 
and believe that our breakthrough is our children's breakthrough. It's our biological children's breakthrough. It's our spiritual children's breakthrough. And it's our church family's breakthrough. What does this church, if just the people in this room alone, what does this church look like if everybody begins to get breakthrough in the area that they need breakthrough in? This church by itself could set Phoenix on fire for Jesus. So we need to look at, and it's not just for us, it's for laying the foundation for our children to, to walk on. If we have things in our life, now Joy and I know this as spiritual leaders, and this is sometimes a hard truth that you need to face. If we have things in our life and issues in our life, we're passing them on to our children. Unless we overcome in those areas, we don't have anything to offer in those areas to our kids, except for the dysfunction that we have currently. So our breakthrough is a family's, the family's breakthrough. Now, to put it in a positive, we know when we get breakthrough, we have an anointing to release that breakthrough. And the breakthrough that we receive is a breakthrough for the house. Especially as a leader. It's especially true as a leader. Amen. I'm going to take a drink break. Ha, ha, ha. Let's take a lap break, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. God wants to do amazing things in our church. And the catalyst for it might be your personal breakthrough. You are a child of breakthrough. You were created to overcome. Amen. So the second thing I want to talk to you about. We're talking about how do we cultivate generational blessing in our lives. The second thing. We need to cultivate generosity and good stewardship. Anytime that we step into the nature of God, we invite tremendous blessing into our life. We are created in his image and in his likeness, which means we're created to be like him. And when we step into his likeness, we invite tremendous blessing in our life. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave. Say, he gave. God is a giver. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many know that God is the most generous and giving being in the universe? He's leading the way in what it looks like to be a radical giver, to be radically generous. He didn't just give us a small gift. He gave us the most precious gift that could ever be given, his own son, Jesus Christ. This is a picture of radical, radical gift giving, radical generosity, giving the biggest gift that you could give. So right now we see high gas prices, food is more expensive, none of us knows what the future looks like, 
but we do know who holds the future. Amen? And there's a temptation for people in the body of Christ right now to stop giving in tithes and offerings because of what's happening in our economy, and it's happening across the country. And it's, it's happening out of uncertainty and fear, where people are afraid, and so they're stopping their giving. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. It's interesting that there's a, there's a concern, and, and rightfully so, of food shortages. And it's interesting that it says, Bring the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Why, why is it so much blessing that there's not enough room to contain it? Because the blessing's not just for you. It's for generations to come. It's for, it's for the corporate church body. It's for your children. It's something that they can stand on. You step into this place in this realm of blessing in God where it's too much for you. It's actually meant for more than just you. It's for generations to come. There's one thing that you can do in your life where there's a commanded blessing of God on it, and that's tithing. There's a commanded blessing. He says, test me in this. The only, only time in the Bible God says, test me. Test me in this area. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. It's the one thing that we can do where there's a commanded blessing, a promise from the Father of blessing, and that's tithing. This is one of the easy answers on the test. This is like the gimme. When we tithe, there's a commanded blessing on our lives, and it's not just for us. It's for the generations to come. When you tithe, you're saying, God, my trust is in you. It's not in the economy. It's not in the government. My trust is in you. When we don't tithe... And, you know, when my wife and I started going to church, when we were mid-20s, we didn't tithe. It took us three, four years before we made the decision, something like that. But when we don't tithe, we're saying, my trust is in me and my ability to create wealth, my wisdom. My trust is in me. If there was any time in my lifetime that I wanted to make a bold statement of where my trust is, it's right now. To say, God, <laughs> my trust is in you. It's not in my government. It's not in my ability to create wealth. My trust is in you. Amen? Do you still love me? <laughs> We need to tithe and we need to teach the next generation to tithe. That's something that we've tried to teach our kids at a very young age. They get a little bit of money from allowance and we immediately tell them, like, 
you need to tithe on that. Like, you just got $10. You need to put a dollar in the box. And I remember for years with Tia, she was always so faithful. We'd be back when, we don't do this anymore, but when you start a church, when you first start a church, you are the janitor, you're the, you're the treasurer, you're the accountant, you're like, you're the children's pastor, the youth pastor, you're all the things, right? And so back when <clears throat> we used to count, like, the money that would come in, we would often find, like, an envelope with, like, $3 in it. And we're like, oh, this is from Tia. <laughs> or we'd find change because she's like, I got $5 and I have to put 50 cents. But we need to teach our children the value of tithing because it's inviting them into the heart of God, which is this heart of giving and heart of generosity. And we need to teach them at a young age, this is what it means to be a Christian is we are giving. We give out of what we've been given because everything was given to us by God. And we say thank you to God by giving 10% back to him. And so we need to teach our kids at a young age because it also helps to bring them into that blessing that God talks about. See, test me in this. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Right now, the spirit of the air is scarcity and lack. That's what the enemy is projecting into the atmosphere right now, scarcity and lack. And as Christians, we need to learn to move in the opposite spirit. I want to tell you a story. Uh, Chad Deadman, when he was here, shared this story. Looking forward to getting away in the forest with Chad and spending some time with, with the guys. But he shared this story. By the way, Chad has such an adventure heart. Like, if you haven't signed up, if you're a guy here, sign up for that. Like, if you want to go on an adventure, this is going to be an adventure. And so Chad shared this story when he was here last, and this was more like, you know, he was sharing about, like, his experience in going through the pandemic. And he said he was in Trader Joe's, and there was two ladies literally fighting over, like, the last loaf of bread on the shelf. And they were having a literal fight because they were both trying to get the last loaf of bread. And he, he's watching this, and he goes, oh, wow. He's like, yeah, the spirit of the air right now is this scarcity. It's this lack and he could feel the oppression of it. And he's like, okay, but God, what are you doing? And what God is doing right now is generosity and abundance. And when we see this spirit of lack, we need to move in generosity and abundance. So he, he saw this and he's like, okay, God, what are you doing? And the Lord says, I'm, I'm moving in generosity and abundance through you. And he goes, okay, Lord, whose groceries do I need to buy? And he says, God, show me whose groceries to buy. And he bought somebody their groceries. And he said, during, throughout the pandemic, every time he would go into the grocery store and he would feel that spirit of lack, he would feel that, that uh, scarcity thing, he would say, okay, God, whose groceries do I need to buy? Because I'm going to flow in the opposite spirit. I'm going to flow in generosity. I'm going to flow in abundance. What's the answer to scarcity? Abundance. We are not living under this economy. We are living under God's economy if we put our trust in him. And right now, God is saying, I'm, I'm calling you to move in generosity. I'm calling you to move in abundance. One of the, I, uh, the stories I shared last week was about uh, Bill Johnson. And in the late 90s, the Bethel Church almost went under. They had 2,000 members. They went from 2,000 members to 1,000 members. And... Stephen De Silva, who is still, uh, I don't know if he's still CFO, but he was CFO at the time, but he's still at Bethel. 
and he was the CFO at Bethel at the time, and he said, Bill, I got, I got $40,000 in bills to pay, and I, I can't pay them. And Bill said, take $5,000 and give it to the church down the street. And he goes, Bill, you don't understand. I got $40,000 in bills to pay, and I can't pay them. He says, yeah, take $5,000 and go give it to the church down the street. Because the answer to lack is abundance. This is the way Bill thinks. Okay, this looks like scarcity. This looks like lack. How do we move in the opposite spirit? What would we do if we were just had too much money right now? Let's just give money to another church. I don't know if I should say this. Help me, Jesus. Yeah, I feel like it's okay. We've, we've decided right now as a church to actually start giving more money, out, output more money. And so we're like, Lord, show us how to move in, in abundance right now when the spirit of the air is lack. And so we're actually giving a tithe of, of 10% of what comes into this church to another church right now. Because we know the spirit of the air is scarcity and lack, and we're going to move in the opposite spirit. God's saying, move in abundance, move in generosity. All right, let's talk about being good stewards. This is all about setting, living in the generational blessing and setting up the next generation to live in the generational blessings. Jesus tells us the parable of the talents. He says, uh, Master, he had three servants. He gave one five talents, he gave one two, and he gave the third one one talent. And he went away in a long journey, and when he came back, the one that had five, he had multiplied the money. He doubled it, and he brought it to, to the master and said, look, I doubled your money. And listen to what the master says to him. Well done. Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the joy of the Lord. There's promotion and there's sharing in joy. There's a sharing in the joy of the Lord. The one with two came, doubled the money. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the joy of the Lord. But the last servant brought back what was given to him. Now, this part of the story used to shock me because the master calls him a wicked and lazy slave. And he didn't waste the money. He didn't, like, I that would make more sense if he had squandered it or if he'd spent it on himself. But he didn't waste it. He brought it back. He said, I didn't lose it. Here it is. And he calls him a wicked and lazy slave. God expects us to take what's been given to us and multiply it. He expects us to give what's been given to us and put it somewhere where it's multiplied. And I want to tell you, when you tithe, you are putting your finances in a place where it is multiplied. Whatever that is that you're putting into your tithe, that money is getting multiplied in the house of God. It's going and it's doing great things for the work of the Lord. So God expects us to sow what we've been given and multiply it. That also means investing. I feel like that's what God showed me a few years ago. He's like, what is it called when you use money to make more money? It's called investing. Yes, we invest into 
with our tithe. We invest into the kingdom. But also, I believe beyond that, we're supposed to be investors, savers. At minimum, we should be saving money. Amen? And that's what he told them. He said, at minimum, you should have put it in the bank. So I get, get my money back with interest. But what he really wanted him to do is invest it and actually make money on his money. Interesting. Jesus is not afraid to talk about money, by the way. <laughs> he talked about it a whole lot in the Word. How many know that it all comes from God? All resources, all of our gifts and talents, our very lives, the breath in our lungs, it's all from God. All of it. So we need to steward our finances well, um, and we need to steward our time well. We need to steward all of our resources well. Not just for us, but to store up a blessing for the generations to come. I want to close with a story. How many love Levi Hug? I know a lot of you know him. I talked to him last night on the phone, and we were just talking because um, Joy and I are going to be in Reading next week, uh, going to a Bethel Leadership Network gathering, which we've never been able to go to, so we're really excited. We get to be in a room with Bill and Chris and all the Bethel staff, and I guess they just really pour out onto all the pastors that come. So I was talking about Levi because we're going to see him. And I just mentioned, before we hung up, I said, hey, I'm talking about generational blessing tomorrow. I said, do you have any thoughts? Because I just, I just really respect him, and he's brought so many, like, powerful amazing words to our church. In fact, in 2017, when we had joy break out in our church, that was Levi coming and just bringing this joy with him. And he says, yeah, I do, actually. I, I, have, a, I have a story, actually. So I want to share the story he shared with me. So his first year of BSSM, which is the ministry school in, in Bethel, he said he was concerned he wasn't going to have enough uh, finances to sustain him through the year. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to just, to just be, able, be able to make it through the year. And so he's, he's really very entrepreneurial. So he starts thinking about, what can I do to earn some extra money? So he has this idea, and he's like, well, maybe I'll get these. I'll buy a bunch of these big, like, receptacles, and I'll place them around Reading, and people can put their bottles and their cans in them to dispose of them, and then I'll take them and cash them in for the, for the money because in California, there's a cash. Um, <coughs> you, you get cash when you turn in your bottles. Like, I grew up in Michigan, and that was, like, 10 cents. You know, if you look on your cans, it'll usually say Michigan 10 cents. And so that's what we'd do as kids. We would, like, walk to the, they call them party stores in Michigan, which would be, like, the Circle K, basically. And we, as we're walking, we're looking for bottles and cans so that we can turn them in and get some, buy some candy or pop or whatever. So he's, like, had this idea. He's, like, okay, what if I set up these receptacles and people can put cans of bottles in them and I'll exchange them in and that'll be some extra money for me. So he's, like, okay, well, maybe I need to just go and do this first. I'm just going to go to the park and I'm going to collect some and I'm going to go and turn them in. And um, just kind of just as, as a starter point, like how much money can I make from some of these? And so he goes to the park, 
and he said he walks over to a trash can and he sees some bottles and cans in this trash can. He says he goes, <laughs> I always get choked up. He says he, he reaches his hand in to pick up a can out of the trash can. And he says he hears the voice of the Lord speak to him as he's reaching his hand in. And the voice of the Lord says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their descendants begging for bread. And he stopped and he says, he knew exactly what the Lord was speaking to him. He says, the Lord was speaking to me two things. He said he took his hand out because he knew the Lord was saying, I don't want you to do this. You don't need to do this. I've got it. I've got you. The righteous are never going to be begging for bread. You're going you're gonna to be okay. You're going to have enough money. And he said immediately, sometimes if you've ever got hit with a revelation, you get a bunch at once. But he said immediately he knew two things. He knew that God was saying, I don't want you to do this. And the second thing God was saying, he says, he knew that there was a generational blessing on his life and that it had to do with his parents and their faithfulness to the Lord. That scripture is actually a scripture that talks about generational blessing. I've never seen the righteous, so this is the blessing for the righteous. I've never seen them forsaken or their descendants begging for bread. This is a scripture. It's a, it's a generational blessing scripture. And he said he knew God was saying, don't do this. And there's a generational blessing on your life, and it has to do with your parents and their faithfulness to the Lord. We have so many amazing and faithful people in, in our church. And I, I want to encourage you today that there's a blessing on your children and all of your descendants because of your decision to follow Christ and because of your faithfulness. Because William Willette decided to give his life to the Lord at a tent meeting in Harbor Beach, Michigan, all those years ago, I'm standing here today. This is the reason I'm here today, because of somebody's decision 100 years ago. Because of James Willette, my uncle, who pastored a church for 40 years in Michigan. I had this revelation yesterday. I didn't even think about it. But my, my pastor, he, or, or my uncle James, he worked as a pastor for 40 years in Michigan. And I had a revelation yesterday as I'm preparing this message. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm standing on the work that he did. I'm standing in the blessings of things that he's sown into for 40 years in Michigan as a pastor. A foundation was laid for me and my family to stand on to start a church. So I'm living in the blessing that was paid for by someone else. And now you and I get to do the same. We get to do the same for our families. We get to... Build something and sow into something that our kids get to stand on and that our grandchildren get to stand on, spiritual grandkids. And that is a breakthrough for this house as a, as a house, as a church family. We get to build something that is inviting everybody in here into deeper levels of God, deeper levels of breakthrough, deeper, deeper levels of presence, deeper encounters, deeper levels of joy. Would you stand with me this morning?
Father, we just, we thank you. That you gave such a huge, tremendous gift to us that we could never, ever repay you for. We thank you that you gave Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly gave yourself for us. We thank you, Jesus, that if each person here, if they would have been the only one, that you would have died for them, Jesus. That's how personal the relationship that you have with each one of us is and that you desire with each one of us. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can do that right now. Or if you'd like to just rededicate your life, you're like, yeah, I've said the prayer maybe when I was a kid, but I want to do it again. I want to give my life to Jesus. And so we're just going to do this together. I'd like us to say this prayer together. And, you know, it's not about the magic words of the prayer, but this the prayer is just a tool to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And so let's just say this together. And if you, if you have never received Jesus or if you want to rededicate your life, just say this and mean it in your heart, and Jesus is going to flood in right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you washed all my sins away. And I receive your gift of salvation. Jesus, come be the Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. And with eyes closed, if you said that prayer today for the first time or, or if you rededicated your life, would you just raise your hand to let me know? Thank you, Jesus. And on live stream also, if... If there's anybody who said this prayer for the first time and gave your heart to Jesus, would you just comment and just say, I just agree with that prayer and I just gave my heart to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wait one more second. Is there anybody that would say, I gave my heart to Jesus today or I rededicated? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs>